Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Welcome back. Feel energized and rejuvenated after the weekend. We got so much to talk about here on this Monday, December 12th. Thank you for joining me. I'm Dave Denholm here on ESPN LA. Well, we know why Gio Reyna wasn't playing, apparently. Or at least not enough to most people's liking. Really, Gio Reyna didn't play enough in this World Cup to anybody's liking, including probably Greg Berhalter. He would have probably rather played Gio Reyna more, talent-wise. But now we know. Stories are breaking. Really, whether it was intended or not, right from the lips of Greg Berhalter. Now, the stuff that has come out, according to everybody talking about it, apparently Greg Berhalter, the manager of the U.S. men's national team at the World Cup, was at a conference, like a leadership-type conference. I'm going to get the actual name of this leadership conference. Uh, uh, Let's see. The Summit on Moral Leadership at the Howe Institute for Society. And apparently, stories are leaking that it was meant to be off the record. or Okay, but when you say these types of things, right? Right after a World Cup and there was an issue. Apparently, Berhalter was talking about how there was one player who was having issues, right? Whether it was, you know, on the pitch or whatever. And the team had to talk about it. And the coaches were, the, the uh, stories coming out, allegedly, they were considering sending him home from the world. Man, can you imagine? Whenever that happens at a World Cup, it's huge news, no matter who's doing it or who, what player. Right? We saw that from the uh, Senegal, I believe it was, wasn't it? And didn't they send their keeper home? Somebody, maybe not Senegal, I beg your pardon. Was it Cameroon or Senegal? One of the teams sent their keeper home during this World Cup. It was big news. So, you know, like when you're talking about a player that potentially discipline-wise could be sent home. Yeah, Cameroon, Andre Onana. Yeah, my bad. He was uh, sent home. Uh, When you talk about disciplining someone to be sending them home, that's big. And apparently it was that close, according to the stories. Although, again, I believe it was U.S. Soccer was saying these were off-the-record comments. But the story's out. Tom Bogert from MLSsoccer.com confirmed it was actually Gio Reyna they're talking about. So... We know now why he didn't play that much. Because there were apparently discipline issues or like not you know, trying hard enough in practice, whatever. Here's the thing. Okay, he's 20 years old. Let's, ta- let's approach this from a number of different perspectives. Everybody says, all right, he's 20. He's our best player you know, in terms of talent, potentially. Not that he's performed like that for the U.S., although he's been very good. But he could potentially affect it. And he's only 20. Give him a break. He's a grown man who's a professional. All right, He's a kid, yes. He's got some growing up to do. So you have to give him a little latitude. But he's also a professional getting paid to play a sport. And you have to be professional. So whether you're 35 or 13, frankly... If you are picked and you're being paid as a professional and you're representing your country, you got to go bust your hump, right? You got to go bust your rear in practice, on and off the pitch. You got to act accordingly. If there's a curfew, you got to meet your curfew. You get my point. You got to play by the rules for this. It's a month of your life, and it's going to be a big month of your life if you do it right. It can also be a very big month of your life if you do it wrong. And then when stories come out like this. Now, according, I guess, to Greg Berhalter, he apologized. Gio Reyna apologized to the team or the player. Berhalter wasn't naming names. But as the people are confirming that it was Gio Reyna that was in this issue or had the issue, he apologized to the team and then they moved on. Okay, that's good. A couple of things on the Greg Berhalter side. 
first of all, don't come out and don't name names when you're really naming names, right? I mean, we all know, like, he said it wasn't important to name them. This is all just kind of like trying to ease your way around actually letting the story out. It's kind of, I don't love. Second of all, you can't have Greg Berhalter back now because of this. Now, you might think, well, wait a minute. He didn't do anything wrong. No, not necessarily. I don't think that he necessarily did. But if you're having these kind of issues and you're thinking about it with the, you know, with the best player on the team or the one of the better players on the team, I understand these things do happen. It's not Berhalter's fault even necessarily. But it got in the way. It got in the way. And I just I'm the kind I don't know if it's maybe the way that look, when you have talent and you're trying to get things done on a short-term basis, if you I don't know how to put this in a weird Yes, it's about the team, right? Nobody's bigger than the team except people who are bigger than the team. This is we're trying to win here. I understand people are going to get all rah rah and you got to be a, you know like Okay, but how about we work with maybe one of the best talents we have to try to see if there's a way we can get to this without going so far as nearly kicking someone out or making them apologize or having to... And again, I'm not even saying Berhalter did anything wrong. But I don't need this. Greg Berhalter's not a good enough manager that we have to put up with this kind of stuff. Right? And maybe, just maybe... Maybe they're – look, at some point, the player has to win out. Now, again, I'm not even talking about this individual situation. But talent on the pitch, let's go get a coach, man, maybe that has the respect of everybody then. And if that's not possible, okay, then it, then you have to address it. And, again, I'm not – again, I don't even blame Greg Berhalter for this. That's not even the point. But in another weird way, I don't want this around again – with this particular player. Who is more important going forward for the U.S.? That's the point. Right here. On December 12, 2022, choose right now in your mind for World Cup 2026 or even for 2024, 2023. Who's more important to the U.S.? I mean, I'm sorry. This is professional sports. Who's more important to your franchise? A 25-year-old LeBron James? Or any other coach in the world. Well, it's LeBron James at the height of his powers. Now, I'm not saying Giovanni Reina is messy, and maybe he, there's some things that Reina's got to get right, clearly. You got to get your head straight, kid. And maybe that has to come from his father and his mother and whoever, because they've been through it. And he's only 20. But when you're talking about right now, are we going to ostracize a guy? Now, again, Burhalter made it sound like everything was fine after we're blah, blah, blah. But do we want these issues again carrying up? It To me, it does come down to that. Greg Burhalter versus talent, one of the best players we have. I'll even bring in Mario. What do you think? Who are you picking? That's the point. Who are you picking? Because I don't want this to be an issue in 2026 when they say everything's cool and then all of a sudden – we got a little bit of bump in the road in the first match, and then everybody's like, oh, here we go again, and the issues come about, right? Who are you pick? You're picking the player. 
You're picking the player. This is not the 26th best player on our team, right? Am I wrong? Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you think it differently. No, you're definitely right, Dave. It's always the player. Always, of course. Because we can get another Greg Berhalter. Yeah. We can get 50 Greg Berhalters. We can get 1,000 Greg Berhalters to manage the U.S. And probably we can get a bunch who are better. I don't know that where Gio Reyna is on the talent level in the U.S., but he ain't 50th. He ain't 150th. He certainly isn't 1,000th. We don't have really anybody better than him talent-wise. Very, I mean, you know, there's a couple you could argue. Now, maybe in five year or four years, maybe I'll look like a fool and Giovanni Reyna will be the 100th best player in America and it won't be an issue. Boy, I certainly hope so. But I'm sorry, right now, who's more expendable? Who's more replaceable? Without a doubt, it's Greg Berhalter. And he didn't even necessarily do anything wrong. <laughs> Seriously. Like, I would side with him in this particular issue, Mark, if that makes sense. Right? You can't have one dude walking around at practice. I'm not saying that's what happened, but I'm saying you can't have a guy not 100% sold in. I get that. I get it. But now that the tournament's over and we've seen what we've seen, fine that you didn't play him because of that. Okay. I think we all can kind of be like, yeah, now it makes more sense. Fine. You did what you wanted to do, but you lost. And since day one of the tournament, of the U.S. tournament, we've been talking about Reyna. That's, that's been the talk. Yeah. And it is still now. Should he have now? Ba- now here's another thing too. Based on what you know, if all this is true, if all these stories are right, based on what happened, should Giovanni Reina played more? No, not necessarily. I mean, Greg Berhalter might have been a hundred percent right, but moving forward, you lo- you didn't do enough, Greg. So yeah, you're a tough guy with Gio Reina. Maybe that's exactly what he needed, and maybe it'll turn him around for the future. But I can't take that chance. And I don't want these issues clashing again. Maybe it's another guy then in 2026. Or maybe, again, sorry, Greg, you might be 100% right and the best manager in the history of soccer. I, don't, I haven't seen that, and I can't take that chance. We can't waste 2026. You lose when it comes to talent versus a manager right now. Where we're at with you and where we're at with the United States soccer, Greg, you're gone. Giovanni Reyna wins out in the long run. Because he's more talented at his job than you are at yours. Sorry, we can't afford... We are not Argentina blessed with Leo Messi and then we can plug in some parts around him, right? Or we're not blessed with a a team loaded with just world-class players yet. Well, we're getting there. And maybe, again, maybe in 2026 I'll eat my words here. Because hopefully... As I've said before, maybe Gio Reyna's the 50th best American player. But that's pretty quick. And we're going to get there pretty fast. I don't think that's going to be the case, Mark. He wins. We have to have Giovanni Reyna. He's going to take us farther in 2026 than Greg Berhalter will doing his job. If everything works. So we've had this clash, apparently. Can't let it happen again. That's my concern. And I don't even care if they all come out and do... Press junkets, shaking hands and hugging each other and saying we're best friends now. I don't care. We can't take that chance. So when Greg Berhalter comes out and airs this stuff, okay, I understand to a certain level why he's doing it. I'm not even mad at that. Like some people are like, oh, how dare you go talk about this? Oh, come on. It was going to come out. And it makes sense as to why he didn't play him more. But that I got the evidence now. Kudos. I'll shake your hand for being a, a good manager 
in certain situations, good man manager. Maybe the rest of the team was 100% behind you. Maybe they weren't. But I also can't take the chance, Mario, that not everybody agreed with Greg Berhalter on this, if that makes sense either. We got a whole team full of players, right? What if, you know, a lot of players didn't agree with this? You can't keep them around. I mean, we got to have unity, yes. But let's let another manager figure that all out and start fresh. Because, first of all, there were stories. Now, Taylor Twelman actually went on to Twitter and said this story wasn't true. I believe it was Jason McIntyre. Somebody else reported, and I apologize if that wasn't the case, uh, that, that there was a vote among the players. And it was like 13 to 12 that he should stay. So he stayed, right, allegedly. And, and, and But are you kidding me? That's not, you know, that's not 25 to nothing. <laughs> yeah. So I understand if people wanted to say, you know, but we can't take these chances going forward. I'm sorry, right? We're not ready for that. We're not, we're not advanced enough or we don't have enough talent or whatever you want to call it to take a chance on that going forward. We just are not. So I, I'm sorry. We, you know, sorry, Greg. Thank you for the information. But it actually is more information that leads me to think that he cannot be around anymore. That's just the, that's just the way it is. Oh boy, hit me up on Twitter at Talk Soccer with your thoughts on that. Now we got a, a guest coming up right now in the next segment. Fantastic photographer from Getty Images. I'm looking forward to it. She's Maddie Meyer. She's in Qatar covering it as a photojournalist for Getty Images. We'll talk to her next right here. On Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Dave Dunholm with you. Back at it on this Monday as we get ready for the semifinals. We are really thrilled with this guest who we're, we're blessed that she took the time, frankly. Uh, Maddie Meyer is over at the World Cup in Qatar taking photographs. She's a photographer for Getty Images. We all know and love Getty Images' work around sports, and she has been a big part of that for a number of years. And first of all, Maddie, thank you so much for taking the time. Of course. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here with you. Maddie, talk a little bit about your background. You've covered a lot of sports in your career, uh, World Cups, men's and women's. Talk a little bit about your background as a photographer. Sure. I'm based in Boston and I cover all the pro sports there, Bruins, Celtics, Patriots, Red Sox. That's what I spend a lot of my time doing. But I love soccer. I grew up playing, so any event I can do that involves soccer, or they would say football, as you know, internationally, I always stick my hand up for it. Um, I got the chance to photograph our U.S. women's team winning the World, Women's World Cup in Canada and France. I covered through the group stage in Russia for the World Cup, and I'm here in Qatar through the final, which is going to be pretty interesting <laughs> for sure. Well, you've already sent out and had some great images from this World Cup. And, of course, check out Maddie's work uh, online. We'll let you talk a little bit about that coming up. But also just uh, some great shots throughout your career, frankly, in sports. You mentioned you played soccer, Maddie. Does that give you any kind of, not advantage, I guess, but any kind of insight into how to shoot the sport? Sure. I think understanding the pace and kind of understanding the mindset of these players a little bit more. I compare it a lot to, you know, I never grew up playing American football. You know, when I started covering the NFL, a lot of it was new. A lot of it was reactionary instead of being able to anticipate versus photographing a sport that I'm really comfortable with is a little bit of an advantage. It's, it's not a prerequisite, but it, it certainly does does help. Um, I also think a lot about when we're in the tunnel photographing these players, 
I think, okay, you know, what is it like when you're about to step out onto the pitch from this tunnel? What's it like standing so close to the opponents that they're about to play? Um, so it's something that I, it makes me enjoy covering this sport more than some of the others. That is so cool. We're talking with Maddie Meyer from Getty Images. She's been taking some great photos, as has the entire crew at the World Cup. Maddie, how many people are there for Getty Images? What, what's it been like as a crew and how you've covered this event in such a tight, really tight compound almost? Essentially, the games are all in stadiums that are virtually less than an hour apart. Yeah, definitely. We have a pretty big crew here. I'm actually looking at how many we have on the final. We'll have... Looks like we'll have about 30 people at the final. Um, Yeah. I love these types of events. You know, you mentioned I've covered some of the Olympic Games, World Cups in the past. It's it's a fantastic experience to be able to work together, but also know our coverage is going to be so excellent because we have people everywhere. You know, we have photographers up in the catwalk in these new massive stadiums. We have people in the concourse roaming around photographing the atmosphere. And then, of course, you know, photographers on the pitch. Uh, in the tunnels with the players, we're photographing the players arriving, getting off of the bus, really trying to give an all-encompassing view. I always think of uh, my family back home. How would I describe this or show what it's like, particularly at such a unique World Cup like this one here in Qatar? We're talking with Maddie Meyer. She is over in Qatar covering the World Cup and photographing it. She's a photographer for Getty Images. Maddie, I've heard people describe the World Cup and you've been there to you know to more than a couple, so you would know better than me. Even uh, I've heard people describe the World Cup kind of like sixty-four Super Bowls. Now you've done both, essentially. Is that somewhat accurate? You know, in my experience, I found it to be pretty interesting. You know, uh, living in Boston, I cover the New England Patriots, which, as you know, very dedicated fan base particularly through the time with Tom Brady being there. And to me, it feels a little bit like AFC and NFC championship games because at some Super Bowls, as I'm sure you know, there's some fans that got tickets from companies, a few diehards, but it's a bit of a mix versus those AFC and NFC championship match games are just an amazing atmosphere. And that's how it does feel with some of these, these games here, particularly with Argentina having such a strong following, being Messi's last World Cup, even before the players warm up, there are fans standing on the edge of these stands. There's music. They've got drums, the costumes. It is very intense. Um, and, I, and I know that helps kind of drive these, these players and help them feel a little bit at home. Maddie, what are the maybe some moments or images so far that you've captured that have stuck out to you, especially in this World Cup? Definitely. Well, I was lucky enough to be at the Saudi Arabia versus Argentina match, which, as you know, was a huge upset. Um, It's been interesting here covering Arab countries within Qatar because there is a sense of support, certainly for Morocco making it to the semifinals. When Saudi Arabia uh, beat Argentina, that was huge for this region, not just for that country. So being there for that upset when the second goal was scored by Saudi Arabia was just, you can feel it, you know, like when you're at any major sporting event. And I was photographing from the catwalk that that um, game and be able to see just the whole team of Saudi Arabia run to the sideline and celebrate all together to see what it meant to them. Because, you know, uh, they're the team with, with nothing to lose versus a giant like Argentina. 
Well, this is great stuff. Maddie Meyer joining us, a photographer from Getty Images. Be sure to keep an eye out for her work. It's been all over, but keep an eye out for her work as, as well as her colleagues from Getty Images at the World Cup. Maddie, is there anything like in terms of covering this World Cup that's different than what you might have expected? You probably were expecting the unexpected in a way. Is that anything jumped out to you? You know, it's interesting. I actually covered the Arab Cup last year, which is a test event. For a lot of these big events like the Olympics or the World Cups, there are kind of preview events that happen a year in advance to test out the facilities and some of the transport. So I'd been to Qatar. I I'd experienced a little bit of it. But the kind of secret bit of it was bringing these huge athletes and celebrity athletes in, like Ronaldo, like Messi, and having it be their last World Cup has been so interesting. Um, another kind of moment that stood out to me was I photographed Ronaldo in his first game that he was benched. And just that mass of media surrounding him on that bench. It's not like covering politics, which I've done a little bit of as well. Um, and it's just that intersection of superstars in this place. Um, it's also pretty different than other World Cups I've experienced because these stadiums are pretty out there. There's not a lot of um, restaurants or certainly pubs. As I'm sure you've covered the, the controversy around drinking here. So you feel kind of out there and removed than from some of those kind of organic march to the matches and, and atmosphere that, that you come to expect at these events. It's a weird question maybe, Maddie, but I know this mm-hmm. is such a huge event and we're approaching the end of it. What do you do after such a big event like the Olympics or the World Cup? Do you take time off? When's your next? Do you already have a next assignment, if you will? Yeah, you know, I I always take time off after. Um, I'm kind of doing the opposite of a Qatar vacation. I'm going to Thailand with my boyfriend to have some cocktails on the beach after being here in this pretty dry country, uh, which feels a little bit restrictive. Um, But I'm already really looking forward to the Women's World Cup next summer. Um, just, you know, of course, as an American myself and how successful the U.S. team has been, um, I'm making sure I enjoy, of course, the last home stretch of this event, but certainly I'm thinking of uh, summer 2023 already. Maddie Meyer has done tremendous work at this World Cup. She's a photographer for Getty Images, as have her colleagues with Getty Images. Really appreciate you taking the time. This is one of my favorite interviews we've done working on this show every day during the World Cup. So thank you so much, Maddie. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Maddie Meyer of the Getty Images photographer there at in Qatar at the World Cup. We appreciate her and all her insight. Road to the Cup continues. Coming up, we'll talk more about the U.S. men's national team going on there. ESPN LA. Road to the Cup on ESPN LA on this Monday, December 12th. <laughs> what a day. Great interview from Maddie Meyer there. Thanks so much again. Check out her work and her colleagues from Getty Images. You're probably seeing it all over the place on the work they're doing over at the World Cup. Some excellent insight. I especially love when she talked about that picture with Cristiano Ronaldo being surrounded when he didn't start and she was there. And I've seen pictures of the photographers all around him and how many there were and how she talked about that scrum. That was awesome. Great stuff there from Maddie Meyer at Getty Images. And thanks so much to them for uh, uh, making her available and uh, for Maddie for taking the time. We really appreciate that. Uh Talking about the Geo Reyna thing with Greg Berhalter, and again, I just want to go back to it real quick. I talked about it in the first segment. If you miss anything along the way in the show, you can podcast the shows. Check them out at ESPNLA's app or get wherever you get your pod. And if you are podcasting it, you know, if you want to subscribe, rate, review, all that stuff, it helps. No question about it. Unless you hate the show, then don't bother, you know. 
you don't have to you don't have to review it then if you don't. I mean, I'm kidding. You can, but so we were talking about Berhalter and. My estimation with all this story about how it's coming out, supposedly it was like off the record talking about at a leadership summit where Burhalter said, you know, this particular player, there were some discipline issues or whatever and, you know, with effort or whatever. And, and of course, it comes out that it's Giovanni Reina, Tom Bogart of MLSsoccer.com, who has, you know, unimpeachable sources, said it's, you know, Gio Reina was the issue. Uh, makes sense now as to why Reina didn't play as much as everybody wanted to, but then he uh, uh, reportedly apologized to the team. And that's how the story goes. So then he, you know, they, he did play against the Netherlands for you know a good chunk. wasn't great, but they, obviously some a lot of stuff going on on and off the pitch. But what it just brings me back to is Greg Berhalter can't come back. We're not at a point in U.S. soccer history where the manager is going to win this argument in the long run. Now, you can say, well, that's absurd. No one play. Okay, that's your point. And I'm not even saying Burhalter handled it wrong. I thought he handled it appropriately then based on what I know. <laughs> he was right based on what I know. And yet, we can't let things like this linger and possibly until 2026. Because in all likelihood, this was not 26 or 25 other players completely against one other, you know. It doesn't sound like that. We can't allow these kind of cracks in the, you know, people talk about how you have to be so unified, and that's how we're going to get ahead. We can't even allow these things to linger. Now, if another manager comes along and the same player who's still very young but doesn't really, you know, learn lessons, if you will, and it becomes an issue, well, then you might have to address the individual player never playing again. With the U.S., I mean, sadly, we don't want that to happen. Of course, so it happens to multiple coaches. Then you start to, but it's time to move on. It's another kind of brick in the wall that I'm building of time to move on from Greg Berhalter, really. And again, through no fault of his own necessarily. That's just that's just the reality of where you're at in sports, right? Talent. Speaking of talent, I mean, we're not we haven't even talked about the World Cup semifinals, which are going on tomorrow. They're set after an amazing weekend. Oh, boy. Wasn't it crazy? Uh, Friday was nuts. Saturday was just uh, not for the same reasons, just as crazy, though. And I loved every minute of it. You got two penalty kick shootouts in the one day. Oh. And then you have the uh, upset special continues on. Oh, who doesn't love Morocco's story at this point? If you don't love the story of how far, uh, where Morocco has taken us, then you better check yourself in the mirror. I mean, it's probably a you issue. If you're not loving what Morocco has done and the story, it's probably about you at that point, right? Like there are some people in the world that you know, if somebody has a problem with this person, this person is so nice and so kind and so genuine that if somebody has a problem with them, it's probably the other person's issue. It, it's it's all likelihood it's the other person who's the problem. If you don't love what Morocco has done in this World Cup, it's probably a you problem at that point. Because how can you not love it? And people will tell you know, the funny thing is people tell you like, well, like they don't have any possession. They're so defensive. And they had the same kind of shot total, same kind of shots on goal total as their opponents. In fact, the game against Spain, 120 minutes, everybody said Spain had 80-plus percent. Morocco weren't even playing. Oh, it's ugly. It's, 
Morocco out, outshot on gold them in that match in the quarterfinals. So, or I'm sorry, the round of 16. So what is it? Yeah, they don't want the ball much, but they're not getting run over, right? It's not like the teams Morocco is facing are putting up 35 shots and the goalkeeper's just standing on his head the entire tournament. They play a certain style that will absolutely not let you get into your offense around the 18. You cannot do what you want to do against Morocco. And that's why they've been successful. And the goal they scored against Portugal was fantastic. It was early, so there was still plenty of time for Portugal to figure out they could not do it. And here's a stat I put out over the weekend, and I think it's a very good one. Morocco against Croatia. Oh, by the way, who's also in a semifinal. Pretty tough group Canada was in, huh? (laughs) Morocco against Croatia, Spain, Belgium, and Portugal. Played 390 minutes against those four teams. You know how many goals they gave up? Zero. In 390 minutes against those four teams. The same team that scored six the game before in Portugal. Six against Switzerland. who's pretty good. Morocco gave them nothing. And I mean nothing. Now, did they have a couple chances here? Yes. Did they miss a couple? Yes, of course, that's going to happen. Any team's going to do that in 90 minutes at this level. They gave up nothing to Croatia in that match when they played them in the group stage. They destroyed Belgium and the Belgium offense defensively in the group stage. They gave Spain nothing despite Spain having nothing but the football for 120 minutes. Spain had one shot on goal. Not goal, one shot on goal in 120 minutes. And then Portugal, despite needing a goal to get back into it, it wasn't a nil-nil game the whole way, and then you know Morocco nicked a goal late. Portugal knew they had to score not long into that match. Well, I mean, relatively, you know, it was the first half goal. And still couldn't get it done. Amazing stuff from Morocco's defense. And then Argentina and Croatia get through. Wow. Just incredible penalties. Emiliano Martinez... And Lavakovic for Dominic Lavakovic for Croatia, fantastic in goal in those PKs. But there was nothing really much separating those teams in those matches either. They were incredible matches. And you know what else is amazing? We could be staring at a rematch of a World Cup final. That just seems impossible to me. Impossible in this day and age. It's amazing. Not there yet, but it is certainly on the, you know, we're on the cusp. Because there's nothing really separating these four teams anymore. Including for France and England and Harry Kane. Oh, poor Harry Kane, right? Buries the first penalty. And then I haven't seen a penalty that bad since Daniel Gazdag back in the MLS Cup final. Sorry. Sorry, Daniel. Right? I haven't seen one that bad since uh, Gazdag missed the first one for Philly. Harry Kane destroys the first PK. It was brilliant. But man, when the pressure's on late, whew. why does it look like sometimes, and maybe it's the angle of how they show it sometimes, why does it look sometimes like from the angle behind the kicker that there it's impossible to score a PK sometimes when you're watching? I don't know. I don't know what it is. But to me, certain angle, when they show that angle behind the, the kicker on a PK, sometimes, and not always, I don't Sometimes it looks like it is impossible to score on a penalty kick. 
<laughs> and yet it's supposed to be an 80% thing, which is pretty good in, in professional sports, right? That's pretty high percentage. Anything you can complete in professional sports at 80% is almost like automatic. I mean, that's four out of five. That's incredible. And that's basically what the percentage is at top level for PKs, right around 80%. Not 100, as we know, not even 90, right? Like maybe not, it's not an extra point in football, Jay Feely. If you know, you know. Okay, it's not a chip shot field goal by any means, 80%. But it's still, but man, when I'm back there sometimes with that camera angle, right? It looks like it's impossible to score. You know, Dave, a lot of guys are blaming that that ball, the Qatar oh, ball. Oh, here we go. It's here lighter, we go. faster. I'm pretty here sure that's go. what they're going to say about the uh, about the PKs because that's what they're saying about the free kicks. That's why there's less free yeah, kick goals. Sure, sure. Lighter, faster. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> then adapt. You've had the ball for months now, right? Adapt. Figure it out. Messi didn't seem to have any problems with it, right? Now, he missed a PK earlier. He got one save. Look, saves are going to happen. If a goalkeeper guesses the right way, it's hard. Okay? Because the 80% probably turns into way less than 50%. If the goalkeeper guesses the correct way you're kicking, it's not easy to score a PK. These are good goal. I mean, they're big men. They're diving. They're fast. They're quick. Their hands are tough. You know, like, if they guess appropriately, it's nowhere near 80%. So, yeah, you're going to get a PK saved. Don't sky it over the bar. For one thing, and don't walk up there trying to fool a guy with your walk up and then barely kick the football. Blast the stinking thing if you're a little worried, right? Blast it. Put it on his shoulder level because then by the time he dives, he can't even barely reach up that far, and you're still not going to take it over the bar. And there's too many guys who have hit perfect PKs for me to think it's the football as well. Right? If one guy can do it, why couldn't you? So no excuses. Stop with the excuses. That's ridiculous. But, I, I mean, it's no surprise people are trying to make excuses because there's been some terrible penalties taken, too. Fascinating stuff, though. But I'm always on edge, as we talked about. We'll talk more about this Argentina-Croatia matchup. That's coming up next. I'm going to break this thing down for you. And stoppage time in the final segment coming up. It's Road to the Cup with Dave Denholm on ESPN LA. Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Dave Denholm with you. Time now to break down this matchup tomorrow. The first of the two semifinals. We'll have tomorrow's game and then Wednesday, France and Morocco. So tomorrow is Argentina, Croatia. Oh, the names, the luster of what they've done. Just what's going on with the storylines, of course. Lionel Messi, maybe his final chance really to win a World Cup at his age. Croatia into the semifinals again for the second straight time. They actually are looking for a second straight trip to a World Cup final, which is incredible for a nation of, what, less than 4 million people? I mean, I think now we've kind of, even as going back as far as 98 when they came in third, you kind of assume, well, Croatia is really good. Yes, yes, they are. But come on. This is not a country of 200 million people. This is incredible what they're doing. So the storylines are there. Let's just break it down like I have been, frankly. Matchups. Managers, Zlatko Dalic, Lionel Scaloni, slight advantage maybe to Dalic because he's been there. I mean, they're both very good managers. They've both been pulling some good strings, certainly doing what they need to do to get ahead. I mean, credit Scaloni for keeping his team together after a loss to Saudi Arabia in the first match. Now now we look back and think, well, no big deal, right? Well, yes, you lost to Saudi Arabia in your first match. Argentina could have very easily just packed it in and been done. 
if Scaloni didn't do a good job managing. Clearly, right? Kept the team in it. Now, you have Lionel Messi, so that doesn't hurt. But you, this thing could have fallen to pieces. Imagine the immense pressure. Look, we, we talk about world football. We don't even understand in this country, right? The immense pressure Scaloni must have been feeling after losing that first match, right? Argentina, and this is my opinion, Argentina is the heartbeat of football. No country loves it more. Now, there are some countries that probably like it, love football just as much. No country loves it more than Argentina. None. That means there's immense pressure. Then you lose your first match. Credit to him for just keeping the ship righted, even with all the talent he had, to get it back on track. And here they are, right? 90 minutes away, maybe 120 minutes away from a World Cup final. So managing, managerially, I can't give too big of an advantage to either, but Zako Dalic has been there. I mean, this is a second straight trip to a semifinal, maybe a second straight trip to a final. That can't be coincidence as a manager. <laughs> it's just with all the man, you know, man management and all that comes with personalities and I- issues that way. And to take a team that was already getting a little bit older in the last World Cup and you're still with the, as great as those players are, they're four years older and you're right there back. And you've incorporated young talent. Great job. So I give the slight advantage managerial to Zlako Dalic in Croatia. Goalkeeping, well, both of them got through PKs, you know, and have done their fair share of stopping shots. Dominic Lovakovic is really kind of special for Croatia, and he's feeling it right now. Now, Emiliano Martinez is great. He's, you know, I have no problem if you want to start him in a match for me anytime. So there's, again, slightest advantage maybe to Lovakovic in the way he's playing for Croatia. But again, very minimal. Defensively, I don't see much of a difference between these two teams, really. Maybe Croatia, because of the style they play, they're going to give up less goals. So maybe you think you're looking at it on paper and you're like, well, maybe. No, I think Otamende and Argentina's played fine defensively, very well. Now, Vardial and the rest of the defense for Croatia has been very good as well. So I don't see there's an advantage here. You might disagree, but I don't. Again, it's somewhat of a style of play thing, too, where Croatia's not giving up much at all going forward. So defensively, they look a little more rugged maybe than Argentina, but no, there's no there's no difference here that I can see. Here's where I see the difference, and it's moving up the pitch. First in the midfield, Croatia. Holy cow. I mean, what Kovacic and Brozovic and Modric are doing, especially Modric at 37, is ridiculous. I mean, he's world class. Every touch is just right where he wants it to be. He's very similar to Messi in that way. Doesn't have the same type of game. Don't get me wrong. He's not at Messi's level quite. But he's world class, and there are few of those around anymore. We like to throw those two words out. And sock. There's not many. There's a lot of great players in world football, and I mean a lot, right? Because I look at it like there are about five people that know how to play basketball in the, in the whole world at a decent level. I know there's a lot more in the NBA, but there's about five of them who actually are good. There's about 15 baseball players that are any good, <laughs> realistically. I mean, at, at a different level. And football, that's a whole different animal because it's so physical. Hockey, they're so beat up. Yeah, there's guys who are great skill, but the the physical nature of it is an equalizer. World football, there are hundreds and thousands of great players. But then there's that next level, and there aren't that many, and Luka Modric is one of them. So they have an advantage in the midfield over Argentina, although Argentina 
certainly talented enough. McAllister's played great. I know we talked with Pablo Alcina, the Argentine, a lot, our good friend, and he seems to think Rodrigo DePaul's playing better and maybe getting, you know, he's injured a little bit. I don't see it out of them as much. I, I don't see Argentina's midfield, Argentina's midfield being on the same level as Croatia. No. But now at the forward spot, you have Lionel Messi. And Croatia hasn't done a whole lot, realistically, offensively, like at times. They control tempo. They win games. So I'm not taking anything away from that. But they're not lighting it up. And Argentina and Lionel Messi could show up, and it could be 4-0 before Croatia knows what happens. It could be. Croatia's not going to do that to Argentina. Argentina could do that to Croatia, if that makes sense, because of Messi. So therefore, there's a big advantage up front with the way Messi's playing. And the rest of Argentina. I mean, Molina with a beautiful finish. I mean, Di Di Maria's been banged up. If he's, you know, Argentina has the advantage way up front. Is that enough to overcome those slight advantages Croatia have around the rest of the pitch? Well, that's the story. But the thing that makes me think Argentina's going to win this one is that I don't believe Croatia's ever going to be up 2-0, 3-0, on any team based on how they play. Now, again, it's a recipe for success so far, and they may end up pulling out a 1-0. That seems unlikely to me. Maybe they can win a penalty shootout. Okay, that's a little more likely, but boy, you're taking your chances after 120 minutes that Messi doesn't find a moment of magic or two, or three, or four, right? So, yeah, the recipe's there. Wouldn't surprise me. Nobody should be shocked if any of these four teams win the World Cup now, including Morocco. They got here. I mean... My gosh, of course, you're good enough. Croatia could clearly win the World Cup. They could go out and prove me wrong and beat up Argentina. I think it's Argentina's game to win. Because of that, the dominance of a guy like Lionel Messi. Now again, he hasn't faced Croatia yet either. (laughs) So maybe they are just that good defensively. But Messi is playing well. To me, it's it's more about Argentina than Croatia in this match. That's taking nothing away from Croatia. But if Argentina plays the way they can and plays well, Messi, of course, mostly included, they're going to win. Doesn't always happen that way. But if I have to, I'm saying Argentina wins 2-1 or 2-0. It's time now for stoppage time, Mario Rees. we got about 90 seconds, according to the uh, second official here. What's going on? Dave, I agree with you, man. It's going to be Argentina to win this game. And you know why a big part of it, of course, is going to be Messi. But we're dealing with a different side of Messi at this point where he's getting actually mad. He's playing like a madman. He's getting mad at referees. He's getting mad at Bang Hall on the sideline. He's running at him, chirping at him. Because he feels it, Mario. He feels his opportunity, right? The pressure is on. Maybe he feels it slipping away. The pressure's on. But he also knows he can win it this time. Yeah, he feels it. I think before, when Argentina was struggling, you saw him him internalize it in a way. Now, he knew he had other opportunities, maybe the World Cups, you know, coming up, but he internalized it so much. Now he's letting it out because he knows it's so close and maybe he's so close to the end, but also I think he feels that they can win, Mark. He feels like now is the time. He knows yes. now is the time. I mean, when he's doing a, a post game interview and he's reaching out to guys, he's calling guys bobos, you know, like it's like, yeah, man, you see like a street side of him, like he is just turned it. on a switch. You know what? Yes, of course, it's like maybe his last World Cup and that's part of it. But I also think he knew along the way that it like he knew these players know if they can really with their teammates win. In other words, do they have enough? Eventually they know whether it's in the last game they play or maybe it's the first game of the group stage. These guys are too smart. They know the game at his level. 
he knows whether or not. Now, he might think that he can do it all, and that's just how, you know, kind of the cockiness of a truly great athlete they have to be. But he's feeling it right now because I think he knows not only is it the last chance, it's a good chance. Like Argentina can win this whole thing, no question about it. Yeah, Messi's not one to be messed with right now. Great point. Great stuff, Mario. Excellent stuff. Cannot wait for this match. We'll be breaking it down. Coming up on the show tomorrow. If you missed anything, don't forget you can podcast this show. Go to the ESPN LA app or hit us up anywhere you get your podcast. I'm Dave Denholm. This is Road to the Cup on ESPN LA.